Father, thank you. That's a prayer you delight to answer, that you want to communicate with us because you are a God of love. So we pray that our eyes would be opened, our ears would be listening, that we would recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Justin turned to his dad and he said, Dad, I know what I want. Justin was in high school. He was going to be a freshman. And he said, I know what I want, Dad. I want to join the varsity football team. And his dad looked at Justin. And his wheels began to turn. He began to think and mull it over in his mind. He didn't want to tell Justin no. He didn't want for Justin to feel like he wouldn't be able to do something. But he was afraid for Justin. He was afraid that Justin just, there were too many odds stacked against Justin. Justin simply had too many things going against him to join the football team. And for his own good, he thought maybe he better not take on the football team. We've been looking over the past three or four weeks at the different barriers that Jesus is able to break in our lives. I want to invite you to grab out your Bible or grab the Pew Bible. And if you grab the Pew Bible, go to page 1015. And while you go there, I'm going to show you a picture of little Justin. This is little Justin when he was growing up. We'll go back. All right. There's little Justin as he was growing up. Justin was born with cerebral palsy. So he had to wear braces on his legs. He had to walk with a walker. And little Justin wanted to play football. Because Justin had a vision. He had a purpose. He had a desire for something more in his life. Jesus has something more in store for you, I believe, as we see in story after story. You remember the stories that we've gone through? Just a a pop quiz. You remember the stories that have gone through in this series, starting in Luke chapter 18. What was the first story that we looked at? Does anybody remember? Luke chapter 18, beginning of the chapter, not quite at the very beginning, but we looked at a parable about two people who went up to the temple to pray, and one was a tax collector. Do you remember that story? And the tax collector was the one who recognized his need. The Pharisee had pride in his heart. The barrier that had to be broken for the Pharisee was pride, but really the tax collector had to break some huge barriers because a tax collector going to a temple, that just didn't seem appropriate because tax collectors were looked at as sinners. Then we looked at another story. Do you remember what the next story is? Or do you, are you good at reading really quickly? What was the ne- what's the next story? In your Bible, it's there. Some of you have headings in your Bible. The Pew Bibles actually don't have headings. What's the next story there? Jesus, what was it? The rich young ruler, right? That's the main thing we focused on. But right before that, there's a story, a little story that gives us a context for why the rich young ruler runs up to Jesus and is so excited about Jesus. Why was he excited about Jesus? Because Jesus had just blessed the children. Jesus is so delightful. He's there and the disciples are trying to turn the kids away. And Jesus says, no, bring those kids to me. I want to pray for them. I want to put my hands on them. I want to come close to them and bless them. That's who your God is, right? So we see that the second part is that a barrier to getting to Jesus can be that we are too small. 
Is that what was difficult for them getting to Jesus? And also, it was the disciples. It was those right around Jesus. But it was a barrier to these kids because they said, they're too small. They're not important. And you may not feel important this morning. But Jesus looks at you as incredibly important. Okay, so what's the next story in the chapter? The rich young ruler. What was his issue? He was rich. Good, good. That's good. It was in the title itself, right? So he was rich, and he had an issue with, I don't want to give up my stuff. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want eternal life, but uh, do I really have to give up my stuff? Then what's the next story? Some of you are reading ahead, so I know you're there. What's the next story? I'm not hearing it. Speak a little louder. Maybe my hearing's going bad. What happens? Jesus is walking through Jericho, and he confronts, there's a blind man who's begging for mercy. You remember that story? We talked about it, I think, last Sabbath, if I remember right. Okay, so blindness, and also, what else inhibited him from getting to Jesus? You remember, as he starts crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me, they begin to say, be quiet. (laughs) It's really strong. They're saying, shut up, don't talk to Jesus, don't cause any problems here. I don't want you to create a scene. So in the context of that, we go on to Luke chapter 19 and verse 1, and we read this. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Right, so Jesus is going on his journey. He's passing through Jericho. He's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he will give his life for his people who won't recognize him and who will crucify him. And as he's passing through Jericho, now a lot of times when we're reading stories, you notice that we tend to stop. We read chapter 18, let's stop there. Don't read chapter 19 too or see that the two go together. But I want you to pick out how these two st- this story goes along with the stories that preceded of all of the odds that were stacked against people. Notice what happens in verse 2. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a what? Does that sound familiar? Did we see a tax collector on this list? All right, there was a tax collector who had issues in getting to God, but he went to the temple because he believed that there was something valuable to be treasured about God and that God was his advocate We learned about how he prayed, be merciful to me, and that that's a word only used one other time in the New Testament, used to describe what Jesus has done in becoming an all-sufficient Savior for you and me. He was looking for a Savior, and he went to the temple. But Zacchaeus, he's a chief tax collector. He's not just any tax collector, but he's the tax collector of tax collectors. If anybody shouldn't get any of Jesus' time, It's a chief tax collector. If anybody is a sinner, this guy has to be the extortioner of extortioners. And not only that, what does it go on to say? And he was what? Rich. The guy is filthy rich, you might say, in a literal way, because how did he get his money? As chief tax collector, he's collecting for the Romans, number one. Okay, number one problem is that he is collecting for the bad guys, the people that are anti-God, the people that are godless and that the Messiah is supposed to come and do away with. Problem number one, 
Problem number two, they collect way too much. They would skim off the top and get some for themselves. He's filthy rich. He's got odds that are stacked against him. And do you remember a story that we just saw about somebody that was rich? And what did Jesus say to the, about the rich young ruler? Do you remember how hard he said it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? He used a symbol. He said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He chooses the biggest animal that they had around there and the smallest little hole, and he says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a, rich, than for a camel to go through that tiny little hole. But then he goes on to say, the things which are impossible with men, have we come to recognize that it is impossible for us to be saved? I want you to walk out of here and you're like, oh, wait a second, how is that filled with hope? But walk out of here recognizing that it is impossible for you to be saved on your own. Absolutely impossible. But the good thing is the verse continues and says, but with God all things are possible. Zacchaeus was filthy rich. But not only that, we go on to read in verse 3, and he sought to, what did he do? To see who Jesus was. What is he having a difficult time doing? He can't see. Could we say that Zacchaeus is blind in a way? He's blinded to being able to see Jesus? Do you see how Luke has positioned this story? The Gospels are in different uh, orders in different books, but Luke is the only one that includes the story of Zacchaeus. And he places it right after each one of these stories that are pointing us back to problem after problem that might be faced in getting to Jesus. All of us have blindness. And those of us who don't think we have blindness we have the most blindness. Like the Pharisee who was like, thank you that I'm not like that guy who needs a lot of help. He was the most blind. He was the one that didn't recognize that he needed a Savior. We all have blindness. We all have deception in our lives. He was looking to see who Jesus was. This tells us something else. What does it tell us about his relationship to Jesus? What are some things that it tells us? A couple different things that it tells us. Any ideas? If he's looking to see who Jesus is, what does it tell us? He's never seen him before. Thank you, Keith. He's never seen Jesus before. He hasn't an idea of what Jesus is like. But what else does it tell us? Something else. He needs something. He wants to know who Jesus is. He has a desire. He's heard something about Jesus. And I don't know exactly what it was, but I know this. Jericho is located just a few miles from the River Jordan where John the Baptist was baptizing people, where Jesus went and was baptized. So he would have heard John the Baptist preaching and saying, if you're a tax collector, don't, don't collect more than you ought. And that had to have been weighing on his conscience. He may have also heard John the Baptist say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe some of the rumors about this man who was a carpenter who had as his disciple a tax collector named Maybe that had come to 
through the, the tax collector's back channels of, of information, it had come to Zacchaeus, and he said, this guy is different. He cares about my type of people. Today you might be here wondering, does Jesus care about me or where I'm at? You know, maybe churches for all these people who are sitting here each and every week who look like they have it all together, but I don't know about me. And if you're asking that question, you're in the best place of all of us. Because Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So we see that, well, why can't he see? He went to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. That was one of the inhibiting factors for the kids getting to Jesus, and that was an inhibiting factor for the blind man getting to Jesus. He couldn't see because of the crowd. And sometimes Christianity can be the biggest blocker of the world getting to Jesus. God forbid that sometimes pastors can be the biggest blocker of people getting to Jesus. That needs to lead me to a humble position of saying, God, what do I have to, I want to get out of the way so people can come in contact with Jesus. I don't want to get in the way of anybody coming to Jesus. Not only is that, the reason that he couldn't see over the crowd is, for he was short of stature. This has always been awkward for me as a kid because they would say, oh, your name is Zachary? Is that like Zacchaeus? Like, well, why are you so tall? Zacchaeus is so short. So apparently this tall, rich tax collector is trying to jump and look over all the people in the crowd and he just can't see who Jesus is and he longs to recognize who Jesus is. And so it leads him to do something. Now, Justin's dad, Oh, first, before we go there, let's look at, uh, so the crowd blocks his view, we see that, and then we also see that he was too small, just like the children who weren't able to get to Jesus. Do you see the parallels that are really clear here between this chapter and the last chapter, except that with Zacchaeus, all of the odds are stacked against him. He doesn't just have one thing against him, he's not just a tax collector, and he's probably a proud tax collector. He's not just too short, he's not just too rich, but he also has a crowd in his way of getting to Jesus. All of these things, all of these factors should be limiting him from getting to Jesus. And so Brent looked at his little son, Justin, and he said, you know what? I'm afraid if you play football, it's going to be a little, I, don't, I just don't want you to get hurt. But how about you run? How about you go ahead and join the cross-country team? Can you imagine? Here's a kid with cerebral palsy. He had to have leg braces as a kid. He had to use a walker as a kid. He can barely walk, let alone go out and run. But he went out and he tried out for the team. Remember, that's, that's what his growing up years were like. But he went out and he tried out for the cross-country team. And when the, the coaches told the dad, they said, we have a, a policy that nobody gets dropped from the team so long as they're willing to work hard, they're willing to show up. Do you think that he could run three miles? Like, yeah, no problem. He's going to be able to run three miles. So little Justin, freshman in high school, began to run. He began to run. And the kids did something special. Rather than being that crowd that would hold him back, 
Every time they got to the end of the race, of course, they were already done with their race, but they would be there at the end cheering him on. In fact, all of the the teams would come together and they would all cheer as Justin came across the finish line because Justin was running for all he's worth. In fact, the coach said that the team started to run better because they were so inspired by who Justin was. Justin was somebody who he didn't complain. And what did they have to complain about? How many of you like to go running? Let's just be honest. I don't, oh, good. We have a couple people here who like to run. But I know that there are a lot of people that I talk to and I've told them, well, I go out running. And they're like, why would you do that? That is so painful. Can you imagine adding to that that you have cerebral palsy? meaning you have a lack of coordination. The coaches said that often his knees would be bloodied at the end of a run because he would fall time and time again because he couldn't lift up his feet to be able to run. He had all the odds stacked against him. What is he supposed to do? He can't be an athlete. Why didn't his dad realize that? But he went on to run and to run and to run and to not stop running. Zacchaeus in verse 4, so he ran ahead. (laughs) The crowd's in the way. His riches are in the way. He's probably dressed in clothes that make it really awkward to run. You've seen what robes are like. But imagine being in the richest regalia of robes, being the richest tax collector, being short. Hopefully he had it hemmed up high enough. And he goes running down the street. It's not a, a normal thing for a rich, wealthy person to do in Palestine. But he goes running down the street. Thankfully, everybody else was focused on something else, and hopefully they didn't notice him as he was running down the the street for all he's worth, when all of a sudden, he sees something up ahead of him. Now, here's the cool thing. Have you ever wondered what a sycamore tree in Jericho might look like? I had always wondered what it was like until this past summer. I was in Jericho this past summer, and we're driving along in the bus, and they're like, oh, we're passing the sycamore tree that they claim that, uh, that Zacchaeus had climbed up in. Do you want to stop? And most people were like, no, let's not stop. Let's just keep going. I was like, no, 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 come on. We've got to stop. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll stop really fast on the side of the road, and anybody that wants can jump out and go and look at this tree. And I just had to get a selfie with a sycamore tree in Jericho. I just had to, to see what the branches are like. You see those branches? They really do extend long out over the park. Now, the people selling stuff under trees like that, they will tell you that this is the tree. But we know that that tree is not more than uh, at most maybe a thousand years old or something like that, which Zacchaeus was 2,000 years ago. So this is the tree, but imagine, this could be the great-great-grandson of that tree. And maybe it's even planted in a similar spot. Who knows? But it might have looked a lot like this. And Zacchaeus, it says, he fixed his eyes on that tree and he began to run because he just wanted to see who Jesus is. Do you want to see who Jesus is? Do you have a hunger for Jesus? I don't care what barriers there are in your life this morning. The enemy wants to throw up every possible reason into your mind to convince you that you don't have what it takes to be a Christian, that you don't have what it takes to be a Seventh-day Adventist. He wants to tell you that you simply don't fit in, but Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
If you don't believe it, just look at how the story continues. He ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Jesus is passing by. And friends, Jesus will pass you by in your life. He will come close to you. He already has time and time again. He wants to grab your attention if we'll only open our hearts to him. He longs to come in and to bring us what we long for. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, I think, tells us something instructive for our Christian walk. It tells us not to fix our eyes on a sycamore tree, to run towards a sycamore tree, but it tells us that we too need to run in a race, just like Justin, just like Zacchaeus. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that means all these heroes of faith of chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Justin chose, of all things, to be an endurance athlete, to run the half mile, to run the the full mile, to run half marathons. He has a goal to run a sub-two-hour half marathon, which is an incredible feat for somebody with cerebral palsy. He's run a mile in under eight minutes. It's not a, a... a, a, a Olympic record by any means, but he's won gold medals in the paraplegics. An incredible guy. How do we run with endurance? Paul goes on to say, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that started it. He's the one that began this race. He's the one that stirred any little inkling in your heart that you might possibly want to come after Jesus. If you're even thinking that today, Jesus planted that there. He's the author. We don't just decide one morning, yeah, I want to see Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't just wake up one morning and say, I've got to go climb a tree today. Jesus had planted that seed in his heart. Ecclesiastes says he's planted eternity in our hearts. We long for something more. Looking to Jesus, the author, and also the finisher. Zacchaeus had no way of completing what he desired to do. He had no way of coming in contact with Jesus. The crowd was in the way. The riches were in the way. His blindness was in the way. All of these things were barriers. But looking to the author and finisher of faith, who for, what does it say? The joy that was set before him endured the cross. That means for the joy of thinking about you and recognizing the the privilege of spending eternity with you. He saw you and he thought how delightful he had made you. And he really loved you. And he said, for the joy of getting to spend forever with them, I'm going through the cross. Friends, I don't think it's without accident that we're going to do 40 days of prayer focused on the cross. Because the cross has to be our focus. Zacchaeus had no way of seeing Jesus without that tree. And we have no way of seeing Jesus without that tree. The cross of Calvary is our victory. It is our song. It is our study. It's everything to you and me because Jesus paid it all for you. And that changes absolutely everything. I wanted to show you a little clip of Justin running. Here he is, actually. You notice what's on his jersey? What's on the front of his jersey? Oregon. 
After he graduated high school, having run in all of those races, he couldn't stop running. And so he runs now for Oregon State University on their varsity track team. And the same thing. People continue to cheer him on as he goes against every single barrier in his life to run that race with endurance. Friends, what barrier do you have in your life today? What excuse do you have today to not pursue Jesus with absolutely everything? Because when you see somebody with a lot of barriers in their life, suddenly I don't have any excuses not to run anymore. When I see somebody like Zacchaeus come in contact with Jesus, suddenly I don't have any excuses anymore, but I just need Jesus too. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to that place, he walks under that that sycamore tree. Do you imagine that Zacchaeus is like, hey, that's got to be him. Everybody's pressing around him. That's, that's, That's the one. There he goes. That's really cool. I don't know how high up in the tree he was. But imagine the shock and surprise. And just let the words of Jesus sink in. He looked up. Zacchaeus is getting a little nervous. Okay, he's looking at me now. He looked up and he saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus. All right, first of all, he knows his name. Jesus knows you. He brought you here today for a purpose. He wants you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants for you to experience all that he has to offer you. He knows you by name. Zacchaeus, make haste, hurry up, and come down, for today I must stay at your house. How does Jesus break down barriers? He simply finds an open door, and he comes into our hearts as a full and complete Savior. And there's no reason that you don't have to walk out of the doors today wondering if you're saved by Jesus Christ. You can find full and complete salvation in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him day by day, moment by moment, looking to Him, surrendering to Him, because He's the one who knows you by name and can't wait to spend time with you. Can't wait to come over to your house and have dinner. Can't wait for you two to get together so that He can really get to know you and you can get to know Him better. So He made haste and came down and received Him joyfully. He's thrilled. He's excited. He's amazed that the God he wants to come in contact with has just given him this invitation. So the other day, Justin, actually, it was just a week ago, Justin was out with his Oregon track team, and they were running a practice run and As he was getting towards the end, he noticed that there were cameras at the end, but he just assumed, hey, they're there to film our track team, to make a a video for our track team. And as he gets to the end, everybody's cheering for him, but they always cheer for him when he's running the race, and he's running as hard as he can. You can see the pain on his face. You can see that he's giving it all that he's got because he wants to break the two-hour barrier in the half marathon, and as he gets to the end and he comes through the finish line, they're all cheering for him as the practice race comes to an end. And then as there's a video of it, you can watch later on, that he's there and he's kind of, he goes and he collapses on this sign. He's giving it his all, panting heavily. He's got nothing left. And as he's there leaning on that sign, the group begins to come around him and he, he gets up and he stands up and all of a sudden there's a guy standing there with a folder in his hand. 
And the guy begins to talk to the group. And he says, I'm here from Nike. And I'm here with a contract for one of you today. I'm here to give a professional running, tra- running contract for the next three years to a man named Justin Gallegos. Justin is now a professional runner for Nike. Justin melted into the arms of this Nike representative. Can you imagine what's going through his heart? He loves to run. He loves to run the race with endurance. And he just got a full-on invitation to run into the arms of a professional company. You can see the joy on his face after he gave him a hug. In the video, he just melts in tears. The joy is overwhelming to him. He cannot imagine that this gift has been given to him. And friends, on that tree on Calvary, a gift was given for you that is full and complete. There's nothing you can add to it. You have been given a contract to live with Jesus forever. Will you accept it? (laughs) Do you think he accepted this offer? It was everything he ever wanted, everything he ever dreamed. Do you think he said, ah, no, you know what? I got some other plans. Do you think that, that he stopped training as hard? Sometimes we worry that if we look at the cross and we recognize the value of what Jesus has done for us, if we say that Jesus has accomplished absolutely everything, that he has fulfilled the law entirely, that he has died for every one of our sins, that he has gone through hell itself because he loved you and I more than he loved himself. Sometimes we get this idea that if we say that, then it's going to give us some sort of liberty to go out and live however we want. Is this guy going to stop running? He's going to run harder than he's ever run before in his life. Just a few days later, he was posting on Instagram, I'm still in shock. I cannot believe that I get to run and represent the swoosh. That's the symbol, I guess, for Nike, right? He says, I, don't, I cannot believe that I am now a part of the Nike professional athlete Team, the first ever professional athlete with cerebral palsy, by the way. Jesus, in this story, is put in a hard spot. Look at what happens in verse 7. But when they saw it, when that crowd who's always getting in the way of people coming to Jesus, when they recognized that Zacchaeus is accepted by Jesus, when they see it, they all complain, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Obviously, there's something wrong with Jesus that he's coming close to sinners. Jesus wouldn't do that, right? He's only found in churches. He's not found where sinners are. He doesn't come to find sinners, does he? But just think about this. When you recognize the gift that Jesus has given you, that it is so entire, that it is so complete, that it's like being cerebral palsied uh, and getting a professional running contract, except for so much better. At this moment, how do you think Zacchaeus is feeling? Having been just given this gift, hey, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to be your guest. And now all of a sudden, people are pointing to Jesus and saying, man, that guy, he's going to be the guest of a sinner What do you think he's thinking? He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about Jesus. And that's what happens when we fix our eyes on the cross. We're no longer thinking about ourselves, but we're thinking about 
our Savior. We're thinking about what he has led us to do. We're thinking about the life that he wants us to live and how beautiful it is, how wonderful it is, how precious it is, how it'll enhance all of our relationships, how it'll make us more loving people. And when somebody looks at us and says, man, you're just a sinner. How do we respond? Look at how Zacchaeus responds. Then Zacchaeus stood with all of his five foot high stature. Maybe he's probably shorter than that. For those of you that are five foot but tall. He was probably four and a half feet at the most. I, I have that on good. No, I don't really. But he's probably four and a half feet high and he's there and he says, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Now let's just, let's just compute this for a second. Let's say this guy is a million, a millionaire. For a pastor, that's a very, very rich man. Okay. So he's a, he has a million dollars. Let's say that. Okay. What did he just say? $500,000. He says, I am going to give $500,000. And where is he going to give that $500,000? To the poor. Do you see what the first impulses of our heart are when we come in contact with the cross? When we come in contact with a Savior who delights in us, who loves us? Our first impulse is to help those in need. To come close to people that are hurting. Because that's what Jesus did for us. So why wouldn't we do it for everybody else? Why wouldn't we come close to people and help them? So first of all, he says, $500,000, I'm giving it to the poor. So then, what do you think might be the amount that somebody would skim off the top if you are a tax collector? I'm guessing that it might have been 20% because tax collectors were super hated and they were just not favored by the people. So I'm guessing that it might be 20%. So he goes on to say this. That would be how much out of a million dollars? 20% of a million? $200,000. Thank you. Right? So let's say $200,000 of his wealth came from mistreating other people, from skimming off the top, from taking from other people. He said, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Okay, maybe we better come up with a smaller number, huh? Because that's $800,000, so maybe it couldn't even be 20% because basically, how much does Zacchaeus just give away? Everything. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Walked away sad because of his riches. But Zacchaeus, who had all of the odds stacked against him, who was a tax collector, who was blind, who was rich, did not walk away from Jesus because he accepted the gift of a personal, loving relationship with Jesus. Justin Gallego said this, I was once a kid in leg braces who could barely put, on, put a foot, one foot in front of the other. Now I have signed a contract with Nike Running. This is from his Instagram account. He said, I used to not be able to put one foot in front of the other. I had leg braces on. I walked with a walker. But now I'm a professional athlete. Desire of Ages, page 554, says this. Zacchaeus had been overwhelmed, amazed, and silenced at the love and condescension of Christ in stooping to him so unworthy. Don't walk out of here today without being amazed at who Jesus is. The God of the universe who breathes out galaxies. The God who is bigger than we can fathom came and became a human being on this tiny little speck of a world so that he could take every one of your sins 
on your behalf, experience all of your suffering for you, all of the pain, and take it all away for all of eternity because he loves you more than he loves himself. That's the reality of who God is. If you've thought anything else about God, dismiss it, please, because that's not the God of the Bible. He loves you more than you can imagine. Look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Last night in the appearing, we talked about, can anybody become a son of Abraham now or do you have to be a Jew? What was the answer last night? Anyone can be a son of Abraham and specifically it comes when you accept Jesus. But look at what Jesus says. Repeat this with me. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I saw that there were a couple of you who didn't repeat that with me. So let's go ahead and try it again. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's do it one more time because I want you to have this memorized. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Friends, that means you. Whether you realize it or not, He has come to save you. And He's longing to open his arms to you today. He's longing to come in and to dine with you today. He's standing at the door of your heart, knocking and pounding and saying, would you just let me in? Because I want to become friends. And through that, the surrender will happen. Through that, we're going to be able to give all and surrender all for Jesus because we recognize the love that he has for us. So we see clearly the, the parallels here in this chapter. He was a tax collector. He was too short. He was rich. The crowds were blocking his view. He couldn't see who Jesus was, but yet he was able to find his way to Jesus. Christ's Object Lessons, page 394, says this, By beholding the matchless love of Christ, the selfish heart will be melted and subdued. The more we look to Jesus and his love, the more the change of our heart will happen. It doesn't come by looking at myself and trying to figure out all the things that I need to fix. It comes by first looking to Jesus and allowing Him to point out the things in my life, allowing Him to be my great high priest who works in my life to willing to do of His good pleasure. Feeling our inefficiency, we are to contemplate Christ and through Him who is the strength of all strength, the thought of all thought, the willing and obedient will gain victory after victory. And friends, that's why we want to go through this 40 days of prayer. That's why we want to take October 16 to November 24 to say, okay, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on the cross. Let's see if, if the more we contemplate this, the more that that real change can happen, the more that the barriers in our lives can be broken down for real. Because I want Zacchaeus' experience. I just want to sit down with Jesus. I want to be close to Jesus. I want to recognize that he is more precious than anything else in this world. So that's why we're going to be going through this book, 40 Days of Prayer. If you missed the announcement at the beginning, uh, we're going to actually give you the opportunity. This book is written by Dennis Smith. It's prayers and devotions reflecting on the cross of Christ. And it just has a daily devotional. You read the introduction first. It gives you the idea of where the book is headed. But the focus of the book is mainly on two things. And that is, number one, looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. And number two, praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who makes this real, who makes it valuable to us, who, who stirs in our hearts things that we wouldn't feel otherwise. So I want to invite you to, number one, pray about choosing a prayer partner. 
And you may think, well, I don't have an idea yet as to who I would like as a prayer partner. And if you don't have that idea yet, that's okay. You don't have to have that idea right now. But at the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to come up here, and our prayer leaders will be up here, John and Dan Heiss, and uh, Don and Jan. That's just such an amazing name. (laughs) Don and Jan Heiss will be up here for you to just sign up and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want more of Jesus in my life. And you can have a book if you say, I want to be, have a prayer partner. And you, if, even if you don't know what prayer partner you want, just tell them that. I'm willing to have a prayer partner. Would you pair me up with somebody? And we will find somebody for you to pray with. And you can have this book. If you are wondering, well, how much does this book cost? You're welcome to give a donation to, to the Spiritual Growth Seminar, but you don't have to. We, we just want you to experience this for yourself to look to the cross. And along with that, look in your bulletin because there's small groups where you can come and process it together with a group and pray together. Such a powerful opportunity. There's going to be a prayer conference call. The information is in your bulletin. But right now, if you would like to be a part of that, it's going to be just two times a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 a.m. We're going to be there on the conference call and we're just going to be praying together. And you might be thinking, I don't like praying in front of people. That's okay. Because I have a lot of people before I've seen on conference calls who you hear the beep and you say, well, who's there? They won't even tell you who's there. (laughs) So if you have to be absolutely silent, we'll let you be silent. Just join the call if you're up at 6 to 6.30 because I believe that God wants to bless our hearts as we unite together in prayer. So if you'd like to be a part of that, just text me right now. And my phone isn't buzzing yet. That's why I keep talking about it. So I actually want you to take out your cell phone right now and to text 661-742-8105, I'm in. Now, before you text it, what that means is if you text I'm in, that means that every Tuesday and every Thursday, I'm going to send you a text message at 545. So if you don't want to get a 545 a.m. text message, I felt one. Thank you. (laughs) Right. So if you don't want to get a 545 a.m. text message, don't text that. But if you're okay with that, and you want to be on the prayer call starting at 6 a.m., and you want me to remind you, it doesn't mean you have to come every single time, then just send me a text message. I still only have one, and there's like a hundred, oh, there's two. All right, this is good. Friends, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. But the good news is Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's come to seek and to save you, not somebody else, not the people around you. Don't walk out of here thinking, number one, that it's for somebody else, or number two, that I'm glad that they heard that sermon because they need it. This is about you and Jesus this morning, and it's about him breaking down the barriers in your heart. It's about me walking out of here saying, Jesus, I've got to have more of you. I really have to have more of you. If it's your desire just to join us at least on the 40 days of prayer journey and to say, okay, October 16th to November 24th, I'm going to keep it in mind that I'm going to pray every day and focus on the cross. If it's your desire to say, I'm going to, I'm going to personally take this on as my mission, just go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, and I'm going to ask you to, to raise your hand again because when you raise your hand, you actually follow through. That's, that's, there's the secrets of why I do this as a pastor. I'm not trying to hide anything. But if you want to actually have a book and a prayer partner, even if you don't know which prayer partner you want to choose yet, 
I just want you to raise your hand and say, okay, I'm willing. I really want that book. It looks powerful. It's focused on the cross. It's beautiful. Jesus is wonderful. And I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. So you're raising your hand and, and I, I believe it. And if you didn't raise your hand, still come and sign up afterwards anyway, please. And then finally, I'm not going to ask you, but if you text me, I'll give you a reminder. Let's just bow our heads together to the beautiful God who loves you so much that he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. Father in heaven, you're beautiful beyond comprehension. Forgive me for not really recognizing that or not really caring. Forgive me for letting barriers get in the way, for making excuses for why I can't run the race with endurance. But God, today I just want to say I want to run with endurance. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, who is both the author and the finisher of my race. Father, fill us with hope. Fill us with faith. Help us to take action because Jesus is so desirable. We pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.